While Andrew and Craig believe the joy of discovery is crucial to enjoying any well-told tale, they will not shy away from spoiling specific story beats when necessary. Plus, these are books you should have read by now. secrets do you have i don't have secrets but i think you have secrets everybody has secrets we all have secrets but what i want to talk about today on overdue a podcast about the books that you've been meaning to read my name is craig my name is andrew shh it's a secret it's a secret (laughs) is the uh when you stumble upon a situation in which you need to keep a secret from someone that you don't normally keep a secret from okay so I'll spell this out. Okay. So I don't know that we've actually talked about it on air. I'm engaged now. You are? And I think we, we may have mentioned it. I don't know. Maybe. It's not We important. didn't like throw a party about it, but whatever. And uh, Laura recently like got her dress and figured that stuff out. She right? said yes to the dress. She said yes to a dress. I wasn't there. I know nothing about it. And there was a moment the other day where she like looked me dead in the face and then realized she couldn't talk about it or that she didn't want to i guess couldn't is you know that's not literally true i suppose we could she could show me all sorts of pictures she could wear home but you know tradition and our own you know feelings about weddings dictate that i will not see it until the day of the wedding see Susanna asked me if i knew if you were allowed to see it and i said why don't you just ask him directly and she said no so I've kind of dealt with this this question indirectly already, is all I'm saying. <laughs> oh, it's it was just it struck me, it struck me funny that uh, that moment happened. Whereas is similar to how I had to keep you know the ring secret, but at that point I was trying to even hide up the fact that I'd bought it at all. This was like she came home after deciding on a purchase. I watched her make the phone call where she finished it up. And she can't tell me anything about it. And that's mm-hmm. just, it was an interesting moment of, of human behavior that I saw. Sure. I don't know sure, sure. if you've experienced a like blatant secret where you like hold a thought box in front of someone's face, but you won't let them open it. Well, I mean, the the ring thing, the, the wedding stuff is one thing because y- y'all know like what's going to happen. You, you know, like all the components of stuff. And, and you guys and Suzanne and I both this is too, did this too is we both went and kind of looked at rings beforehand so there's there's an yes. unspoken well a explicitly spoken implication that <laughs> that that's the way that things are going but um <laughs> yeah we were on the subway and there was like oh so there's a clock ticking now isn't there yeah this is like you better not because if not you don't do, do it now. within a few months like they're gonna start being well like why what's what's going on what's happening uh-huh but for her, for Suzanne's birthday this past year, and I, we may have talked about this on the show. I never I don't remember know if we whether yeah, we reported. I, I, we're, we speak we're into the internet and forget everything we said. I don't remember things that I said like last week. <laughs> um, 
I was I did like a surprise birthday thing for her and it involved not only keeping secrets from her but actively lying to her so that she would oh, yeah. make other plans. Uh-huh. Those <laughs> are always a different like an anti-secret. It's I don't know if it's an anti-secret. I think it's like secrets level up into lies. <laughs> secrets become lies. Become Secret become has evolved into a lie. <laughs> yeah. Uh, this has no bearing on the book we're talking about this week. I don't think. I don't. And think this is so. our bonus episode, right? For July. What ha- are we even happy doing? Independence Day, nerds. <laughs> it's like July seventeenth. <laughs> but this, Independence Day is good because this book is about independence. It is about kind. independence. Andrew, and what did you read? Days. What did? You- what did you read this week? Uh, I read My Side of the Mountain by Jean Craighead George. It's a Man, Newbery what, Honor book. It is. And she also won the Newbery Award, the Newbery like, Medal for her book, June... Julie of the Julie Wolves. Julie of the Wolves. And June of the Foxes. June of the Bears, um, <laughs> which is about like an, a young Eskimo girl who hangs out with a bunch of wolves and learns to talk to wolves. Sure. Um, when I was in third or fourth grade, whenever I read this book, uh, I don't know much about it because I, as as I was rereading <laughs> the like synopses, I realized what in my head was wrong about this book. So I look forward to you telling me there's what actually plenty, happened. There's <laughs> plenty that's wrong about this book. That's not okay. Is not what I mean, but uh, I always remember being confused by Gene Craighead George's name because it was my name. Well, your name is in there. Yeah, it's weird. You can't spell Gene Craighead George without Craig. It was like if an author was like Leslie Andrew Face Nielsen. Why is her name Leslie Nielsen? (laughs) I'm not sure. Well, it's her dad was Leslie Nielsen, and he decided that she was going to be named after him no matter what and and his and his name helps because it's it could go either way gender wise and she came out and he said she's got an andrew face so her name's andrew face Face. (laughs) millions Uh, of people suffer from andrew face every year (laughs) i think we can end it in our lifetime what the what the heck is gene craighead george's deal andrew uh, she was born in 1919. She died uh, just in 2012, so pretty recently. Yeah. Um, she wrote a whole bunch of books, including a couple of like nature cookbooks. Ooh, like what? Um, Do you know? Just, I don't. I don't know the specific books. I just know that they're they are um, cooking books. You like written with like wild ingredients and stuff in mind, and that that plays into Ooh. this book a little bit. I don't know okay. that we'll get into specific recipes or anything. <laughs> um, and then an, an autobiography also. Okay, um, and she apparently was. Her website says that she was, you know, she was working up until she passed away, and mm-hmm. like so many authors, I believe that she will end up having, if she hasn't already had some works uh, published posthumously. Oh yeah, I wouldn't be. Surprised. There was enough stuff that was finished enough that people can edit it together and put it out there. And her um, deal is like nature and animals. Like, yeah, we'll get like into she the specifics was raised, of this book. She was but... raised by naturalists, I guess. That was her her thing. Okay. Like that that was basically <laughs> I read that that's her the first... extent that I know and that and that apparently fueled her her preoccupation with nature and, and the outside. I and read that, that her that theme comes up over and over again in her books, I guess. Her first pet was a turkey vulture? Mm-hmm. What 
What? Well, first you take a turkey. Stop. And then you take a vulture and then you I put them in a sack and you, you shake it, shake it, shake it, shake it around. And the turkey vulture comes out. Where did the turkey and the vulture go? They became the turkey vulture. Oh, like Voltron. Like Vulture. Tr- vulture. vulture. <laughs> yeah. It's, I'm starting to think that you don't know how the natural world works. <laughs> I'm looking forward to you telling me. Andrew, what was your first pet? Uh, my first pet, I think it was our first cat. We had a fish. Well, it was really a succession of fish <laughs> that all lasted for like a week or two until... Okay. I think my mom and my dad prevailed upon my aunt to stop buying us fish. <laughs> I had a fish named Finch. Okay. how What kind of fish was it and how long did it last? A goldfish and at least a month. Oh, that's I def- pretty good for I a goldfish. I distinctly remember saving Finch from our cat at one point. There's like a bell curve of uh-huh. goldfish survival or something. Is I don't even know if bell curve is the one I want, but like... Yeah, that's kind of what you're looking for. It's either or it's either going to die like within the first month you have it, or it's going to live for, <laughs> for twenty years. 20 years. <laughs> and in between just... is this giant dip where most of the goldfish die. Why is Andrew dragging that fish tank into his dorm room? Who's that guy with the fish? What is going on? The forever fish. This is my forever fish. Nice to meet you. My name's Andrew. I'm going to major in naturalism. This is my fish. This this fish found his forever home. Um, She also was, she wrote extensively for Reader's Digest, which apparently led her to a whole bunch of like nature traveling. And that's what fueled her trip to Alaska, which is why she wrote Julia of the Wolves. Um, I was just impressed to read that someone would write for Reader's Digest for like 13 or 14 years. Yeah, from 1969 to 1982, she did writing and editing for Reader's Digest. And that's like such a, apparently was only surpassed by Better Homes and Gardens in like some form of readership five years ago. Like Reader's Digest had a monopoly on coffee tables and tops of toilets (laughs) for like 40 years. it It was the jam for a while. But I've maybe read two of them. It's of a... how You have not digested that many of them. No, I haven't. Okay. but We should it's... start a, a sister podcast where we just read <laughs> old Reader's Digests. <laughs> Call it Reader's Indigestion. Yeah. <laughs> Man, I hear the ad money just tumbling into the oh, piggy bank so already. Good. But that's like a thing I remember like... From TV and movies and whatever in the 90s, they're like, oh, did you read the Reader's Digest version? Like, what does that even mean anymore? There were two, there were two things that everybody read, and it was Reader's Digest and TV Guide. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, like, getting a cover of TV Guide. I don't know what getting a cover of Reader's Digest did for you, but getting a cover <laughs> on TV Guide was a big deal. Yeah, it was, like, sometimes Time they would Magazine have like collectible, collectible covers. Yeah, of Where course. Where they have like six different covers on the same stupid TV guide and you just have to buy them all. And I don't know. Do you frame them or? Well, you probably don't frame them. You probably leave them in a milk crate and then you die and then your heirs have to sort it out. <laughs> yeah. I think that's what happened to all the special TV guides. I think, I think for our generation, it's going to be like Pepsi cans with characters from the Star Wars prequels on them. Yeah. Like, oh, you got that. Natalie Portman Pepsi can. You yep. got that Jar Jar? You got that Jar Jar, right? 
I got R two D two. The Holy Grail is like the Crystal Pepsi can with Jar Jar Binks on it. Stop it! <laughs> that one. That is the two worst things combined. <laughs> uh, one other interesting fact about Jean Crackhead George: over the course of her life, self-reported, she kept a hundred and seventy-three different animals as pets. This okay. did not include dogs and cats, and this was at her home Wait, in What Chipacua. other kind of animals are there? Oh, tarantulas, owls, robins, Dang. minks. Minks, Andrew? I wonder what her definition of a pet was, because if, it, if her relationship with the animals was anything like Sam Gribbley's relationship with them in this book, then like an animal only had to hang around you without running away to kind of be your pet. Yeah, I think her definition was... It hung out for a while, and then when the seasons changed, it would go wherever it needed to go. It and knew then you maybe would get food, and so yeah. it hung out. Yeah. And so then when you saw it again, it was your pet. <laughs> like <laughs> It was a visitor until next year when it came back. Mm-hmm. That's, uh, that's most of what I got. I think, you know, she has. she's not one of these um, children's authors or children's book or young adult authors that... I have found anyway, who's gotten a lot of challenge, like whose work has been challenged very often. How do you mean? Um, like I don't see her books listed on like banned book lists. Or sure, I like mean th- this book is is thoroughly unconventional, except in that it kind of glorifies running away from home and living <laughs> in the woods. But other than that, thir- it's fine. did you mean it's thoroughly conventional? Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, it's yeah. not like. Some guy goes into the woods and then he like he has a sexual awakening or something. Even though even though Sam Gribbley is pretty much of pu- that age, puberty right? age, yeah, like it's yeah. not. It's not about that. It's not. Yeah, no, it is definitely not. Well, I want to make a bunch of blue jokes about puberty. So okay, cool. What is it about? What is my side of the mountain about? I recommended this book to you, and I have since found out that I've forgotten a whole bunch about it. Yeah. Um yeah, the bonus episodes seem like a good excuse to kind of goof around or read kids' books, which is fine because <laughs> every once in a while you need a you just need a break from <laughs> like slaughtering Native Americans or whatever it is that we normally read about. Yeah, totally. Uh so My Side of the Mountain was published originally in nineteen fifty nine. Uh it was loosely adapted into a film in nineteen sixty nine. And then in ninety or ninety one, it was Cash followed on by train. yeah, it was followed by a sequel called um, "On the Far Side of the Mountain," I believe. Mm-hmm. Which, which uh, I think, if I'm not incorrect, it was a crossover with Gary Larson, <laughs> and it was about characters from the far side living in the wilderness. There's just big weasels making jokes about like office politics. <laughs> I can't laugh at you really hard right now. Because <laughs> you don't want to encourage me. Because I'm mad that you already had that lined up, and that's where I was going. <laughs> I didn't think about it until just now. Until I I think that is about the main, a sister of the main character of this book. Probably, yeah, because correctly. he comes from a big family of, like, it's the mom and the dad and then seven or eight siblings. Yeah. Who, so who, who is this? Who are we much. talking about when we say he? Talking about young Sam Gribbley, who's a 12-year-old boy. Who lives in New York and... Say that again? Where does he live? New York. <laughs> okay. And he's like, man, I had enough of this city life. I want to run away into the woods like my great-great-grandfather. Okay. And 
so he tells his his dad and his parents about his intent to run away and they're like all right i remember when i ran away for like a day and then i came back and so he runs away into the woods and then he stays there for like a year and a half <laughs> what yeah where i mean just like anywhere in the woods no, is he, he going he to a specific comes up spot with a, he comes with a home base um, Susanna described it, and I think this is really, I, I wanted to just steal it, but it's good enough an observation that I wanted to attribute it to her. That's fair. She said, it's like Hatchet, but he decides to go into the woods <laughs> instead of being stranded there. Instead of a plane crash, he yeah. tells his parents he's leaving and just goes. Now, you read Hatchet, right? Yes. Did you know that there are four sequels to Hatchet? How does that work? There's one direct sequel um, about him like floating down a river. There's one that the third book is like is it an called alternate... Tubin? No, no, it's called <laughs> Down the River or On the River or something. Okay, I don't think it's called Hatchet Two Tubin. <laughs> Hatchet Tubin. God, the third book is like some weird alternate ending where instead of being rescued, he has to like winter in the woods. Oh no! And then the fourth and the fifth books are sequels to that alternate history book. So this is what we need: some, revisionist like, history, hatchet like revisionist fiction. history, or alternatively, like rips in the space-time continuum hatchet books. Yeah, you, okay. Um, what, what were we talking about? My side t- of mountain. <laughs> so yeah, Sam Gribbley runs off into the woods, and most of the most of the book are is just like diary entries from him talking about what he is up to in the woods. Okay, well, like, is he? able to articulate what bums him out about the city what why is it there so just, bad that he's just, just so like many, i gotta get out of here so i'm 12 people. there's so many people okay and he just thinks it's too busy and there's some vague language like this is 1959 1950s no I, I, the in the book, they refer to like the first nuclear tests being like contemporaneous with this. So I think it actually would have been set a little further back, late four. Oh wow, in the forties, like maybe, maybe the early forties yeah. or something. Okay. It's it's not ever made super explicit. I need to. This was actually the one of the things about this book. This is the first like paper book I've read in a while because I've been able to find ebook copies of all the stuff I've done for oh, the last okay. few months, and I had to fight for the first couple chapters like i saw something interesting i had to actively fight the the urge to reach out and try to highlight something with my finger oh you're on the, the page worst. Of the book. you're a despicable person i'm aware i know um there's okay there, there's a scene toward the end of the book he, he starts to get visitors up to his little clearing in the woods after a while mm-hmm. and um so this one kid is telling him about stuff that's happening in the world Trouble in Europe, trouble in the Far East, trouble in the South, trouble in America. Um, also to a few sensational murders, some ball scores, and his report card. It all proves my point, I said sagely. People live too close together. Is that why you're here? Well, not exactly. The main reason is that I don't like to be dependent, particularly on electricity, rail, steam, oil, coal, machines, and all those things that can go wrong. So it's it's He's the ultimate like Luddite, a, is what you're yeah, saying. Yeah, it's like a it's a, it's yeah. I don't like to be dependent on all those modern things because those modern things can also be bad, which they can be. But okay. I can't like will a Game Boy out of wood. So <laughs> tell me how you're gonna, how how are you gonna fix that one, Sam? What are all these little figurines that you've made, Sam? They're my Pokemon. Stop. 
I caught I've made them all. Pokemon. I caught them all out of this elm tree. <laughs> In my version of Pokemon, there's twenty five thousand of them. <laughs> they all look like acorns. They're all Charmanders. <laughs> So what is Sam's deal? Like, well, how does he go about this? Is he an expert? He's he's read a bunch of books, um, and then as he oh, so he's an expert. Well, I mean, he's like a kid expert. Like, imagine if imagine you're twelve <laughs> Sam years Gribbley, old, kid expert. Imagine you're twelve years old and you go to the library and you read everything you can read about like surviving in the woods. That's about where he is. Or if you read Hatchet and and we're like, well, now I know exactly what to do. He's he's kind of at that level, and then as he's as he's going up to the mountains to run away because he's looking for the uh, the remains of this old the Gribbly farm, like this old place where his his great grandfather or great great grandfather used to live. Um, okay, he meets a guy who like tells him, "Oh, you're you're stupid. You're doing this wrong. Here's how you light a fire." And then he meets a librarian who finds a bunch of books for him about about living in the wilderness and cuts his hair like all along the way. This is like the first checkpoint with this book is all along the way he meets adults who help him out, but like don't really respond in the way that I think that you should to a 12 year old who's living in the woods by himself. Is it kind of like that scene in Home Alone where Macaulay Culkin goes to the grocery store and like buys a bunch of groceries and And nobody stops him? (laughs) Yeah, it's like that. Like why is why is Sam obsessed with getting haircuts? He's not obsessed with getting a haircut. He just goes to the library to get some information, and the librarian is like, "Oh, you need a haircut," and so she gives him a haircut. So she's concerned enough about him to give him a haircut, but not to ask like, "Who are your parents, and do they know where you are?" Okay, so he's when he when he's in the woods, like he's in the woods, like near some stuff. Like there's a He's town within to go a couple to. hours walking distance of some stuff, I think. Okay, but you know, effectively, he's alone for most of the time, and so he like he hollows out a tree to live in it, and he finds a bunch of plants and and makes traps to catch game. Um, he trains this like falcon. He how does he, he get steals, a falcon? He steals a falcon chick, and then he feeds it food, and then he just kind of trains it. See, my, my alternate my alternate title for this book <laughs> is How I Went to Live in the Woods and Everything Went Fine. And I never encountered any adversity. And nothing was ever more than a minor inconvenience. Like Hatchet at least is kind of a survivalist kind of book where there are some there are a lot of moments actually where you're not sure that Brian is gonna make it. <clears throat> Okay. Brian is the name of the kid from Hatchet, and I'm surprised okay. I saw him. His that. name is not Hatchet, no, as his name some not... were read, led to believe. Yeah. <laughs> Mr. Hatchet was his father. Hi, I am Brian the Hatchet. Brian Hatchet. That's my football name. Um, <laughs> like, what obstacles does he? What I mean, obstacles? He has, to, he has to make a home, and he has to find food, but it's always like, okay, he has to do a thing, and then so he does it. Like, so he he knows to do it. Like, there's a there's a sequence where it's a, you know, it's the middle of the winter. He's up in the woods. His nose is bleeding. And he's like, uh, this probably shouldn't be happening, but I'm not too worried about it yet. And then he, like, catches an animal, and he says he doesn't know why, but he just knows to eat the liver. And so then he started eating a ton of liver, and he felt better. And then And then he says, you know, in retrospect, vitamin C was the thing that I wasn't getting. 
And so I guess that I just, my parents fed me so well that I kind of knew that I wasn't getting enough vitamins. And it's like, really? Like your nose is bleeding and so you just start eating liver and so everything is fine? Is that? Well, yeah, okay. So like, how did cavemen know not to die from nosebleeds? I, I guess don't know, they but just... I assume they all did. I don't <laughs> Like I'm sure, I'm sure, the instinct, I'm sure instinct plays a part, but that's like one of a whole bunch of different times. Like there's, you know, winter's coming and he has to build a little chimney for his little tree house so he can heat it. Mm-hmm. And, and so he just kind of does and he has some trouble, but then he does it and it's fine. And it's just all, it all glides along very smoothly. And I, I realize it's because this is a book written for people who are about Sam Gribbley's age, but if not younger, maybe. Yeah, yeah. This this is younger than Hatchet, I think, by a couple years. Okay, because nobody has to die of a heart attack to set up the action of the book. Yeah, Spoilers yeah. Spoiler. Just kind of. He just kind of <laughs> says, "Hey, I'm gonna go out for a year I'm, and a half. I'm gonna live in the woods," and so he does. Okay, so you we were talking about his peregrine falcon what's the deal there i know he's got some animal friends he's got some animal actually the names of people in this book are pretty funny mm-hmm. um the falcon he he took it while it was a little baby chick and it was really frightened so he calls it frightful and frightful is the name of this falcon that's pretty good um there's a weasel called the baron weasel who he traps in a, in, a, in, a, in a trap you know uh-huh like a trap <laughs> and the weasel is not very afraid of him and so it like it becomes kind of his friend uh there is a raccoon who's a little sickly who he kind of takes in and feeds and the raccoon's name is jesse c james and the c stands for coon because <laughs> it's a raccoon stop it Sam. uh there is a teacher who comes up uh who, who kind of accidentally finds him while he's hiking or whatever and Sam had heard sirens down on the road a while back. And so he assumes at first that this teacher is a bandit. And so he decides to call this guy Bando. That's so good. Bando the bandit. I want to hang out with Sam Gribbley. And the guy's cool nickname. The guy's like, well, I'm not a bandit, but that seems cool. Uh-huh. So I, he just calls him Bando the whole rest of the time. Go just meet someone. You seem like a jerk. Can I call you Jerko? Bando. Sounds good. Tuesdays Sounds good, Jerko. With, Tuesdays with Bando Tuesday. up in the forest. <laughs> well, so with these animal friends, it doesn't really apply to Bando. You said he was. <laughs> you, you can't even handle hearing another human being say Bando. He sounds like a clown. Check out Bando's animal show. In high school, the football players called the band kids Bandos. It's did they? Yeah, they did. So I was a at band your band. high school. Yes. What? What? Bandos? Yeah, Bandos. Because we were in band and we were nerds, I guess. Because we didn't play football. Even though our football team was not that good, it was not yeah. a very good football team. <laughs> we're not talking about any Friday Night Lights stuff over here. Like, we never went to state. Our quarterback never got his his back broken in the first game of the season. And, and went very, to Mexico to get then, shark blood yeah, or whatever. And then, <laughs> and then had a very inspiring climb back up into his own. 
So with these animals, Bando aside, <laughs> Bando, you said that Sam was like trapping and and eating things. Like, how does he reconcile that with the animals that he decides to like keep and name? Because that seems both. I don't know. There seems something very primal about the like. Oh, I'm back in the woods and. I'm one with nature, which also means eating the crap out of nature. See, that's the but, other subtitle for this book is How I Ate a Bunch of Animals. How I Ate All the Animals by <laughs> Sam Cripley. Because, <laughs> I mean, he doesn't eat raccoon or weasel. I don't. Well, I mean, that would not, probably ever, taste bad. Well, I mean, he does eat possum, I think, at one point. But yeah, People like, eat possum. Rabbits, birds, deer, like all those are fair game. Rabbito, Dero, Birdo. Fro- yeah, yeah Frogo. Ate, ate all of them. Birdo from Mario, Super Mario, <laughs> eats him. He eats he eats a lot of animals. Like it's a it's a back to nature thing, but it's not like a like a hippie thing. Yeah, it's not like a I'm back to nature and I brought all these signs from PETA with me. And I'm a vegan and all the and I like ride a deer <laughs> down okay. to the down to the butcher shop to protest his practices but like, like how does he reconcile that or doesn't he at it all? does not come up because this is like 1959 and you just ate meat and that's what you did <laughs> okay fair enough but so this book has i don't know is there anything else you want to say about the plot of the book i mean the how- the one other kind of interesting stuff comes in at the end and i guess this is as close as sam gets to having an arc other than like oh i just went out in the woods and survived on my own in the woods okay it's toward the end he does he does get lonely and he does start to crave even like subconsciously human contact like apparently talking to his falcon and his weasel friends are not like not enough for him well and you said he's had human visitors but he seems like wholly willing to just say go away after you give me that haircut please. Well not even not even that like Bando stays with him a couple times. <laughs> you know Bando um and then I, the he has his, I've heard like Bando. his dad comes and finds him. And this is this is the other thing. This this book is very like <laughs> innocent and quaint like so Bando has already come back to visit <laughs> to visit him for the second time and so his dad comes up and so his dad finds his like 12 or 13 year old son hanging out with a guy who he called with a grown man who he calls bando and his dad and bando just become like pals it's not it's not a weird sex thing that your kid is chilling in the woods with bando Playing like reed flutes because that's what they that's a thing that they do. <laughs> so his dad his dad comes and visits and that's actually kind of funny because he's like, well, I guess you you've been gone for a while, so I thought I'd come and see how you were doing. And I told I told your mom that if I didn't find you by Christmas Eve, I'd just call her and let her know. Wait, like. Um. Wait. His dad said, "I'm gonna go spend Christmas in a tree hunting with my for son my in the child." Woods. Yeah, yeah. In the but just, woods, but just to, like not to bring him home, just to hang out and see how he's doing. Merry Christmas, Bando! You made me this reed flute. I brought you nothing. Cause who are you and why are you here? Christmas with Bando. Christmas with Bando. a very Bando Christmas. <laughs> my Bando grew two sizes that day. God, Bando, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> The Bando of Christmas past. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so his dad comes and is like, all right, great. Merry Christmas. For Christmas, I got you more time out in the woods, right? I think he might have brought him some f- food or something. I don't know. But he just he he comes out and he makes sure he's fine and then he leaves. Okay. But then I mean later at the at like the book ends with Sam like coming to terms with the fact that he's lonely and that he does need human contact. So his family, like his mom and his dad and his his seven or eight siblings all come out to the woods and and they're like, "Well, we couldn't couldn't get you to come home, so we decided to come out to you because I'm your mom and I'm going to raise you." And he's like, "Man, mom." And she's like, "Well, till you're 18, you kind of got to like live in a house with your family and be a person." And so the end, it, like the book ends with the Gribbly family built, starting to build a house and like reclaiming the old Gribbly farm from the past. And, so, Sam, and Sam is like, well, I really like the wilderness, but also I'm just a boy and I did miss people. So, hey, guys. But he doesn't say, OK, I miss people. I will like reintegrate myself into the society that already exists only only subconsciously like he he starts to like at the the beginning of the book there are a couple people who try to find him and he like hides from them or like actively tries to get away from them oh okay and by the end like he sees a person and he like goes up to like chat and hang out even though you know when bando comes up to visit you know he makes his little his bando trips he he tells sam about like newspaper articles about the like the wilderness boy who lives in the catskills oh weird and okay um, yeah and then sam at first is like well whose business is it that i'm up here being a wilderness boy and then by the end he's like well that's i'm not in love with it but i'm also super lonely (laughs) oh no so let's chill so i've so it's a book that is simultaneously about independence and bando and an acceptance <laughs> of kind of the like the social bonds that human humankind needs yeah i think i think that's that's accurate and yet sam still gets his way because he doesn't need to go back and live in the city he doesn't need to about... go back to new york no he his family yeah. comes to him to live in the woods with him interesting Cake and eat it too, Sam. Cake and eat it too. Cake and bando too. <laughs> um, but what? Okay, what about the treatment of nature in the book? Like Robert F. Kennedy Jr. has cited this book as the reason he became a falconer and has carried that into a career in environmental law and environmental activism. Like, what is the deal with? the Thoreau connection and kind of how the book portrays the woods that might inspire such a feeling. Does well, it I mean, did not, inspire not that to, feeling in you? Not to bring it back to Bando again, but Bando does decide to call him Thoreau because they're, they're beyond sharing their actual names with each other. And that kind of makes that bond explicit. But the, Wait, the, does Bando a, not know Sam's name? Is this like a, deal that they have they just they don't call each other because sam is like oh hey i'm gonna call you bando and bando's like okay i guess i'll call you thoreau then oh my god okay it's a sam bando thing like you wouldn't understand i wouldn't understand the one thing i will say well i mean there there are plenty of things to be said for this book we're i'm kind of leaning on the goofiness of it because it is improbable even in the go-go 40s that a child (laughs) 
a child would be able to run away from home and get away with it for this long. Okay. Um, the descriptions of nature are like really vivid and especially like there's a, there's a sequence of chapters where winter turns to spring Mm. that are really, uh, that are really like well-written and they really capture not just like the fact that everything is still alive in winter. Like there's, there's no such thing as the dead of winter. Oh, the idea that nature is just doing other stuff yeah. in winter. Yeah. And then and then there are signs of spring coming so far before like the snow melts and before like spring actually sets in. Like it, it's 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 really attuned to nature and to the outside and to the behavior of animals and the behavior of of plants and there there are lots of illustrations. That was one thing we actually didn't get to talk about when we were talking about Jean Craighead George is um mm. Her marriage to her first husband, uh, John Lothar George, I think is how you pronounce his middle name. Um, sure. She wrote her first few novels, I think, with him, and she provided illustrations. And then her editor later oh, convinced her to provide illustrations for her own book. And so you get throughout this book um, illustrations of plants or of like the simple traps and, and snowshoes and the kind of things that he's making. And um, every once in a while, you'll get a drawing of him in like the deer leather suit that he made for himself. Oh, cool! Um, like I don't know if you could just if you could get lost in the woods with just this book and not die and just be dead. <laughs> but it makes you feel like you could, you know? Well, like that's it, that, the that, point. It yeah. has a, it has an air of authenticity to it that I mean, it probably is fairly authentic like i think that you could if you weren't if you weren't too fussy about the kinds of things that you ate you could you could get away with doing this and and kind of kind of make it for at least a while yeah you might need to have also read some stuff about like then like knife work and you know animal parts or something yeah because especially like this kid runs out into the woods and he it's not like his parents took him into the woods a lot to kill things, right? No. I mean so, he just he just he thinks he has it in his blood or whatever because his ancestors worked the land. Okay. And so he reads a lot about it and then he goes. All right. He's a smart kid, I suppose. And so I guess a few I mean, he is a resourceful kid, and then there are a few pieces of knowledge that I think are just kind of implied. Hmm. Um Okay. Yeah. But like what was I gonna? Oh, I thought I had a thing. What, what would like? Did you ever run away? I never did. No. Okay. By the time I had enough to rebel about, I think I was too old to like run away from home. So then I was too, I was too old to music I was, based. Too, I was too old to run away from home without it being like a serious thing. Because <laughs> I was seventeen years old, I think. Like it would have been a- by the. <laughs> Would have been a whole thing. <laughs> there's like a car, and there's like people expecting you places. It's not like you're just eleven, and you're. I'm gonna go out and see you later. No, 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 no. I never, I never did that. Now, now, if this book had been like Andrew's side of the mountain, mm-hmm. it would have been ten pages long because Andrew would have gone out into the wilderness and like eaten grass for three days and then died <laughs> in a stream. Like that's yeah, how it would I have don't... ended. I don't know how I I would have fared at this age. I have a distinct memory of the first time I lit a fire and it was by accident. <laughs> like a campfire. Like I think I put a bunch of 
like thin twigs and sticks inside of a fire pit that was still hot from the night before. Oh, okay. And they all lit on fire. And I thought that I was a god. Like I had How do you think the first guy who did fire felt like like that's the that's like the basis of civilization is being able to decide where things are on fire and where they're not on fire. Well, that second part didn't come for like a while. (laughs) There was like thousands of years where it was just the first part. Fire there. And then we didn't. And then also in other places. That's the problem. We'll worry about that later. Buildings and houses didn't happen until we could like tell fire to quit it. I mean, they did. They just burned down. (laughs) (laughs) I think that would get discouraging after a while is what I'm saying. Uh, why even st- why even build a house? It's why just going to burn oh down. Oh, my God. I hate your idea uh, for houses, Steve. Uh, I miss houses always Nintendo. burn down. Oh. <laughs> what time is this? It doesn't matter. <laughs> so, all right. Well, I don't know. I don't know. It's a, it's a very simple book. I mean, I can tell you... I don't know. Like There, there are a lot of little individual anecdotes. Like, there's one in the... In the winter, I think the winter is probably the most interesting season because it's the closest the book comes to having any conflict in it. Just by like sheer nature of him surviving, he yeah, has to do yeah, more. Yeah, like there's this giant ice storm and he realizes, of course, he, he doesn't get iced into his little treehouse. He realizes that he needs to kick the door open by sheer luck and then he just does that and doesn't get frozen inside. But... <laughs> All the trees get frozen, like the rotten ones start to explode under the weight of like all the oh, ice man. and stuff on their branches. Like, have you ever gone outside after a, after an ice storm and just seen like the frosted, yeah, yeah, branches and like they're they're weighing the tree down because they're so heavy with. Well, that with was ice like a stuff. whole thing. I think it was in Atlanta this past winter, with the crazy winters that were happening on the East Coast, where like large. Tracks of land were losing power because trees were, you know, so frosted over that they were just collapsing. Yeah, and sometimes um, the power lines will just get covered with ice and come down yeah. of their own accord. So winter is the closest that this book comes to, like, putting him in danger? Yeah, because he has to, like, prepare for it, and he, I don't know, there's another moment where he's going, he's... He, he like goes out to town temporarily for no readily clear reason, except I think that the implication is that he misses human contact. And as he's going back, he realizes, oh, it's November and it's getting cold and I haven't collected a bunch of wood for the winter yet. And so he does it. Like he almost didn't do something, but then he does it. He never, he never gets to a point where he doesn't have the thing that he needs. Or if he, if he, if he does, it's for like five minutes and then he figures it out. Is it's not a book. It's not a book with any conflict in it at all, and maybe that's why I'm kind of goofing on it a little more than I am <laughs> praising it. Because I think there are there are a lot of books written for kids this age that have conflict or have like a not a villain or an antagonist even, but like something to be overcome, and it feels like work and it feels earned. In this case, Sam is just. A kid who like there's nothing he needs to learn that he can't learn in five minutes, twenty minutes before he needs it. You know. Mm, okay. Okay. In all the time that he spends alone, what is he thinking about? Is is he like 
contemplating his loneliness? Is he just sitting and watching animals? Most of it is just, and I, I imagine this is what life was like before we decided that we controlled fire and that we were awesome. <laughs> um, I mean, most of your most of your existence is dedicated to thinking about continuing to exist. Mm, so you're okay. dealing you're dealing with food, you're dealing with fire, you're dealing with not like freezing to death. It's it's that kind of stuff where where leisure time isn't a thing. You just you just find an enjoyment in the things that you have to do to live. Kind of like how squirrels just run around and eat stuff and then they get tired and go to sleep. Yeah, it's kind of like that. I mean, or any animal, I suppose. I just picked a squirrel. Or bandos, yeah, I, mean, I, guess I guess bandos do that too. Wild, wild, well, wild bandos. Wild bandos they're all they domesticated bandos too that are less, less interesting. I just I'm asking. I think this was the book when we were studying it in elementary school. Just where I read this book uh, seemed about right for the time time frame that we were thinking about thinking. Like I think. I recall a writing exercise where we were just supposed to sit there and think about ourselves thinking and what we were thinking about and kind of contemplate what it is to be inside your own head for a period of time, mm-hmm. which is certainly certainly would happen to you if you left the bustling big city and went out into the woods. And yes, you have to spend a lot of time doing stuff to survive but what is your especially if your brain is kind of trained to think about other things like what do you end up thinking about i mean there is one section again kind of toward the end of the book where he imagines his head as being like full of these voices and like one is his dad's and one is bando's i'm not even making a bando joke at this point one like his falcon ends up talking in his head like they're they're all arguing different sides of a question and and he imagines like these voices in his head all arguing these things and then eventually coming to consensus and so it's never i mean he never has any trouble with like sanity or whatever yeah yeah or or, like the, the extreme isolation or anything like that it's but it's not it's not something the book is super preoccupied with okay I mean, I guess if you if you read this in elementary school, you could talk about the problems that he faces and how he chooses to overcome them, like the like the critical thought aspect of it. Oh, just like working through each nature problem puzzle, yeah, yeah like as it comes. Yeah. Okay. Um, I also I also just from a from a writing perspective, seem to remember this book as being a good lesson in like simile versus metaphor and and that kind of thing like the types of descriptive language that she chooses that you were talking about earlier yeah no, yeah it's it's very very descriptive and very very like illustrative it it definitely it definitely paints a picture and that's independent of the of the sketches that she peppers throughout the throughout the book mm. okay yeah like it's it's not i think it i think it is great for its age range and it's it's like we all have those books that are kind of standards of of kids' books, but that we didn't catch. So I got like Where the Red Fern Grows and Hatchet, but not this, even though I think all those books are in the same general vein. I think Hatchet and Red Fern are both older than this book by a bit. Not like not like the story is older, but it's for older kids. Yeah, what is the deal with 
11-year-old survivalist fiction. Like what is like a why? kid. You're you're the you're becoming old enough to theoretically like be autonomous. Okay. I guess or like like do a lot of things for yourself like maybe you walk maybe you're walking home by yourself. You're you're kind of being given in bits and pieces a bit more independence in your life. I think so, I think that that's true. I think that's true of most people. And and especially for a kid like Sam who would have been a city kid, like maybe you're wondering specifically what it's like, what it would be like if things were entirely different for you. Like what if mm-hmm. I don't know, like maybe if you're a poor kid you're thinking what it would be like to be rich. Like what what is it in ways that feels more, that's more complicated than just I could eat cookies whenever I yeah, want. Yeah, 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 like yeah. I could cover my room with horse posters. Like it would be awesome. <laughs> You, you're you're getting this degree of independence, and you're also gaining this ability to to really think about how people are different, and that not everybody is the same as you. Like, I don't know. Like, you're 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 getting to the point where you can just understand that stuff for the first time. I think, and then and not only understand it, but then have feelings about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and try to act on them and affect. Once you realize that you can affect the world around you, and, and that kind of starts even when you're like two or three, and you're like, oh, I can say no. I'm going to start saying no to everything. And then that evolves through for the next 10 years until you're you know, an adolescent, and then again, you're just saying no to everything. <laughs> <laughs> Similar especially, amounts of applesauce are thrown. Is, yeah, especially everything your parents want. Um, yeah, I guess that's... It it really is just like the ultimate. Here's what happens if you if here's like you spending your weekend in the treehouse to the nth degree, because that's yeah. like a thing. Except you spending a year and a half of your life in a treehouse. That's how did he not? How did they not make him go to school? That's the thing. That I don't know. Me. That's the thing is that like his parents just come out and like okay, I guess we're I guess we're woods people now. I guess we just live. <laughs> I'm going to start building a house out of two by fours in the middle of the woods. And we're just going to live here. Do we not have to pay taxes on any of this? Are there no property taxes in the woods? These are not questions. Maybe they get into this on, you know, on the far side of the mountain. Yeah. And the whole, like the whole, like first section of the book are the Gribblies like, filling out like dealing, dealing with the, their legal costs from letting their boy live in the woods by himself for a year. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Like CPS keeps coming and trying to take <laughs> Sam away. And the SPCA is like, the, this place isn't zoned for weasels. What the, are you doing? The third book in the series, My Side of the Foster Home. <laughs> no! Okay. Are we done here? I think we're done. <laughs> if... You, the listener, uh, have a childhood survival book that we did not talk about, a favorite of yours that we did not talk about on air. Uh, We'd appreciate it if you wrote in to us about it via email at overduepod at gmail.com. If you ever named an animal after a funny thing, uh, (laughs) you should tweet that to us at twitter.com slash overduepod. Uh, and if you ever befriended someone named Bando and, like, have a blog about it or whatever, like, put that on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash pod. Andrew, if people want to learn more about us and Bando, where should they go? 
they could go to our website at overduepodcast.com. Up there, we've got links to iTunes, Stitcher, and our RSS feed. Those are the three main places that you can subscribe to the show. If you subscribe in iTunes or on uh, Stitcher, leave us a rating or a review. We really like reading them, and it uh, helps us out in the rankings, helps people find the show a little bit more readily. Also on that site, we've got Amazon Amazon links to the books that we have read and the ones that we are going to read. If you want to read along or if we talk about a book that you like, click those by the book. We get a cut of it. We also have a link to our Patreon page at patreon.com slash overdue pod. That's a place where you can pledge a certain amount of money to us per month and um, you will get stuff in return for that, depending on the amount that you pledge. Like this episode that if you pledge money, you got early. Yeah, y'all have collectively pledged uh, more than $150 per month, so that means that we are doing bonus episodes every month. This is our third one, and we're going to keep them rolling. So thank thank you, everybody, who's who's keeping the lights on. And um, for people who want to help out with that, we also use that for hosting and for buying books and for buying equipment. That is patreon.com slash overduepod. Craig, we have a couple of events coming up. Um, in the next few months, do you want to you want to talk about those a little bit? Yeah, sure. Uh, for East Coast folks specifically, we don't know what we're gonna do if we'll do anything for folks not on the East Coast. Uh, that's a pipe dream. But in the meantime, at the end of August, on August 29th, you could come down to Philadelphia. You could come to the Tattoo Mom Bar, and you could check out our slot in the third annual Philly Podcast Festival. Uh, we're gonna do a live show. Looks like we're gonna do Ghost of a Watchman. And guess what? It's free. Uh, you should probably like buy a beer or something at the bar because Tattoo Mom is super cool. But other than that, it's free. Uh, we got like a Facebook event and everything, so you could RSVP. If we know how many people are coming and people uh, have told us that they're coming, we'll try and organize some sort of meetup, which would be super cool. So let us know if you think you're going to make it. And maybe some audience participation stuff too. But we'll we'll keep putting the word out as as we get a little closer and and see what the show is going to look like. But correct mundo. Yeah, think you can get your get your drunk on, get your chuckles on, get yeah. your get your controversial sequel slash first draft thoughts on like yeah <laughs> be a good yeah. time i think uh we are also hoping to make our way to book riot live which is a november 7th and 8th in new york city at metropolitan west uh book riot's a great site that's been very generous to us uh, in terms of recommending us to our, to their uh readers every once in a while and so we are happy to provide like a discount code if you want to go to book riot live you can Go and register and use as the code overdue or overdue pod, Andrew. It's overdue, and I believe it's all caps. Okay, I don't. Um, I don't know if it matters if it's all caps, but that was what was given to us, so that I, so I know that works. Use that code, save a little bit on your registration, and you can see Margaret Atwood and a bunch of the cool Book Riot people and other authors for a little bit less than you would otherwise. Uh, yeah, I think that's it. Um, oh, last last thing, last housekeeping thing is um, oh. sometime overdue guests, uh, Margaret H. Willison and I, along with our friend Catherine Van Arendonk, have started a TV podcast called Appointment Television, which is about the TV that you want to make time for. Um, it's a little bit different from overdue. We're still trying to figure out like what what we're going to do. But like we have debates about about things like which Star Trek series is the best we are going to watch shows that you probably missed and probably are canceled already, but you probably should have watched. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's so far it's been a good time. Um, that's at hcvpodcast.com if you want to if you want to learn more. 
Check it out. Um, Craig, this is like, I don't know at what point in time this is going to fall. So I don't know what you or I is going to read next. Doesn't right? matter. It's a bonus episode. It exists outside of time. It I does. don't know why we talked about all these things that are time dependent because we, well, this I episode mean... is really just existing in the woods <laughs> with a badger and a weasel and a guy named Bando. <laughs> All right, everybody. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for donating if you have donated. Thank you for supporting us in other ways if you have not donated. Um, we will be back uh, whatever Monday comes after this. And until then, everybody, try to be bando. I mean, try to be happy. Thank you.